Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us in the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us take a step into their shoes. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but as a mindset coach, what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe on all platforms, rate the show, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Today, we have Arian Long. She's the founder and CEO of Family, a natural and eco-friendly feminine care brand that increases access to healthier alternatives. And Arian Long struggled with a difficult menstrual cycle for years, but when she was diagnosed with a cervical tumor at the age of 26 related to chemicals in popular feminine care products, it served as an incentive for founding a business that changed her life and the lives of thousands of women across the nation. Arian has won many awards and she's been featured on platforms such as Forbes. Forbes, NPR, BuzzFeed, Entrepreneur Magazine, and so much more. So please welcome to the show, Arian Long. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. Absolutely. I like to start the show with an icebreaker question. But before I even go into that, I mean, I've been following you on Facebook for so long. And I, I was trying to remember yesterday, like, how long has it been? Or when did I start following you? And I believe maybe we were in like a Facebook group together. And I seen something you posted. I thought this girl is awesome. Let me just add her. So <laughs> I've been watching your journey and admiring you and your growth and everything about you. So I just wanted to say thank you before I even jump into the questions. And thank you for the opportunity. I can't tell you how... Um how important that is to me. And like, it literally, I got my start. I remember the first time like thinking about this idea and just joining a Facebook group. And now it's become like this behemoth of a network of black women who are like Mm -hmm. making waves. And it's just awesome to have it, to be honest. I agree. I agree. I love it. I love it. Because I get to meet amazing women like yourself. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I like to start the show with this icebreaker question, because I feel like as women, especially entrepreneur women, we have all these different titles that we go by and all of these different labels. And I feel that a title that isn't given enough significance is a title that is referenced multiple times a day, which is our name, because our names have meaning. Right. So when someone says your name, they're declaring that meaning to you over and over again. And I'm a true believer in right. affirmations and all of those great things. So my first question to you, Arian, is do you know what your name means? Yes. Arian is actually, well, in some languages, it's a male name. But um, historically, it's a mythological goddess. And um, in Greek mythology, it's actually a horse that had the, the magical ability to speak and was an orator. So that's mm-hmm. what it means. I love it. I love that whenever I'm having a guest on the show, I'll Google their name beforehand. And of course, in many different languages and different meanings, names have different meanings. So if they don't know what their name means, at least I have something to reference for them. So I love that you know what your name means. And I also love that the other definition that I found was braver. And that is something that I've gotten from being connected to you on Facebook, because I feel that, you know, you share parts of your story, which, you know, I'm myself, I'm very transparent with my story, but there's a lot of people that don't have the courage to do that. And I, when I saw Braver, I was like, yes, that's, that speaks to who I see (laughs) when I, when I see you on Facebook. I want to go, I guess, backwards before I get to where you are today. So I'd love to know, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? A cardiologist. Oh, wow. um, Yeah, I was that child. Like, it's funny because, you know, you look at my story currently and like the things that 
I've done both professionally and personally in the last few years and people are, you know, very inspirational and they're inspired and it's a big deal. However, I think that a lot of what I've gone through can stem back from like just even birth. I had mentioned to you in the past, I was 2.8 pounds. I was born to a mom that was suffering through a crack addiction. I am one of six gorgeous siblings and my grandmother raised the majority of us together. She adopted us. She actually was a singer with the world famous Shirelles who were in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And wow. she quit singing to adopt myself. And then every year for like the next six or seven years, she would get a call from the hospital. Hey, you know, your daughter had a baby and here's your opportunity to adopt a baby before we make our decision. So, you know, that was the crux of my beginning, but I had a strong grandma who was just amazing and an educator and a survivor in her own right, who really pushed us to kind of go past obstacles and go past the norm to pursue what it is that we wanted to be. So for me, I was like one of those quirky children who I didn't eat everything. I didn't really watch TV. I actually didn't even grow up with a television in my room, but Mm -hmm. I just loved reading. I loved books. I loved reading. I loved anything that was STEM related and biology and chemistry. And, you know, I studied anthrax when I was 17 years old and started college at Stony Brook when I was 15 um, and then went on to graduate from Oregon State and start there at 16. So that was my thing. I I thought that I was going to be a heart surgeon. It's so funny. I looked up to Ben Carson like he was my idol. (laughs) Wow. When you started talking at the beginning about being raised by your grandmother and having six siblings and your mom Mm -hmm. being a crack addict, I want people to understand how powerful stories are. Because oftentimes people people will talk about they can't attain a certain thing because of where they've come from or what they've been through. But what you just shared is so powerful. It actually reminds me of an episode. I had a a female by the name of Lestar Sneed, who's actually conditioning for the Olympics in Beijing. And she has a very similar beginning to yourself where her mother was also a crack addict when she was born. And she was raised Mm -hmm. in the beginning by her grandmother. But you guys are both so inspiring. And I love watching your journey online because it inspires me to even want to do more in life and to be more in life. So I love that. You know, it doesn't matter what your beginning is. It's what you do with it. I love that. It's how you finish and what you you make of things too, because life is crazy. Definitely, definitely. So share with us how the story of family came about. So I remember I was working for a major health insurer. My family and I had relocated to Maryland. I graduated college. I became an educator. I actually taught middle school in Southern Maryland for a few years and fell in love with that. But it was so emotionally draining because I fell in love with my students. And, you know, I felt that Though I was able to make an impact, there were so many things that I saw that were wrong and so many ways that I felt that I could not help. Like I was helpless to some of the situations that my students faced. So to protect myself, I actually left the education system and Mm -hmm. I finagled my way into this marketing and communications position with a behemoth of a company out here. And I remember at that time, my cycle started being irregular, like things started happening. Luckily, I had great coverage. So I would go around the different OBGYNs, get different opinions. And finally, I got one that decided to do a little searching and found that I had this growth 
and we had surgery to have it removed. But in the interim, I went through like the most embarrassing things and a lot of women can relate. But I mean, Mm -hmm. I would go through like three office chairs every few months just because my period would soak through. I would have to leave and take extra breaks and all of these things. So it was right at the start of the rise of the subscription box company, Dollar Shave Club. And they were just starting to get their first, you know, few hundred thousand subscribers. And I said, well, wait a second. If guys can get razors delivered on demand and they can opt out of shaving, I mean, no shave November is a thing. Why Mm -hmm. can't women get their menstrual products delivered on demand? Like, how awesome would it be for these products to come to you? Because I could not find anything that was safer in stores. This was before, like, the whole rebirth of menstrual care in Target, because now there are so many options. So Mm -hmm. we started as a subscription box company, and we were sending the ultimate period kit to your door monthly. The name came to me in a dream. Like, I'm one of those people that when you have a problem... You end up dreaming about it. You can't sleep. Mm-hmm. I remember I was talking to Tony <laughs> because I had the actual idea, but I did not have the name. And like I went through maybe 50 different names. I was Googling and looking at reverse psychology and, you know, just looking at everything. And finally, I said, you know what? This is a product that is not necessarily for people who only identify as feminine. So that's why I often don't even use the words feminine and care together. Because there are Mm -hmm. people who are non-binary, people who, you know, identify as a man and still have a vagina and still have a period. Mm -hmm. So I said, how can I be inclusive but build a company that supports people with vaginas? And the words feminine and family came together. And that's Mm -hmm. how I created the name family. Wow. I love it. I love it. You know, it's crazy. I didn't realize until I had my issues with my cyst and my growth how common it was. Right. I knew that it was it was common in my family. I, you know, my moms, my aunts, my nieces, everyone's had surgery at some point to have mm-hmm. um, a cyst or growth removed. And I thought, okay, I missed that. I'm good. And then last year, I was already being monitored for cervical cancer and, you know, abnormal cells. And when it got to the point where they found abnormal cysts in my uterus that were causing issues, and like you said, like the heavy bleeding, where it was embarrassing, I couldn't leave the house for eight days a month. And then when they told me that it could be cancerous, then the decision was to remove my entire uterus. And when I started being open and talking about it, where I had my cervix and my uterus removed, a flood of women that opened up about this issue, I had no idea. So I think that you created something that is safe, that, that helps women, that obviously is something that is needed in I always tell people that our purpose is birthed through our pains, you know, our our struggles. So I I think it's beautiful that you took that negative experience and flipped it to serve and provide a greater good for others and yourself. Yes. I mean, and it was even hard for me because on the flip side, I come from a family that no one has had any type of reproductive issue. So Mm. at first it was kind of like, you know, this might just be a tough period. You know, we don't have a history of fibroids, we don't have a history of anything. My grandmother has six children. My mom has six children. I have an aunt with 13 children, healthy children. Oh, wow. <laughs> so wow. It was like, you know, it was unbeknownst to me. Wow. So, okay, you've won so many awards and competitions, and you've been able mm-hmm. to raise funds for your business. So can you speak to, like, strategically fundraising and finding your supporters? Absolutely. So one of the things that I learned very quickly and early on was that it would be hard. Initially, I thought it would be hard to just navigate the femtech slash healthcare 
slash e-commerce space as a company that can take on investment. And we decided to go this route because we saw the potential for scale. I mean, like you said, a couple of years in, Dollar Shave Club had a billion-dollar exit. They were sold and purchased, I believe it was by Unilever, for a billion dollars. And I said, well, to hell with it. If this razor company is worth a billion, surely a menstrual care company that women mm-hmm. can't act out of is worth two. Mm-hmm. Um, but navigating that was extremely tough. And then also, like I said, I am a five foot one black woman. I come from New York, Brooklyn, New York, by way of Maryland. I don't have the accent out here. I don't have an MBA. I don't have a PhD. And frankly, I found that when I was getting into rooms with some of these investors, it was more so the questions that I was getting were more so about why I had the audacity to think that I could pull this off. Like what mm-hmm. made me highly qualified? And, you know, some people would be as bold as to just come out and ask, oh, what, you know, where'd you go to grad school? Where did you go for here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'd have to say, you know, I went to Morgan State. And they're like, where's that? I'm like, it's an HBCU. What's an HBCU? <laughs> However, I saw the potential for it early on. And this was about 2015, 2016. And we didn't have the numbers that we needed, but I saw the trajectory. So what I did was instead of focusing on what I couldn't do, I knew that I could focus on what I could do, which for me was just being out and being present, networking with people. I love talking to people. I am like the girl that would probably bump into Oprah at a tapas restaurant and not even realize it's Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) So like I made a lot of really good friends in high places just because I was being me and, you know, being myself and inviting people out for food and, you know, all types of funny things like that. And through that, I found that like local networks and local cities were having these pitch competitions and these grant opportunities and even these government award contracts. So I did my research. I was working 40 to 50 hours a week at my job, and I would commute an hour and a half one way just to get back home and then be at home from about 6 p.m. to maybe 2 a.m. every single night looking up opportunities, looking up logos, looking up anything that you can think of. And what I did was, thankfully, back to having that grandma I had moved back home with my, my husband and I weren't married, but we had gotten rid of our condo. I got rid of my BMW. I downgraded to a Volkswagen. I moved back home with my grandmother who had a 6,000 square foot house. My entire family lived there. My grandma, my aunts, my siblings, dogs, cats. At one point we had a duck. And (laughs) I, I would stay in my room and this is what I would focus on. And thankfully, because I was with her and with the family, I was able to use one of every paycheck. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, that's what supported family. Wow. I love that. And I, I love when you talked about being in certain rooms, you know, because you didn't have what they look at as the credentials to be there. People are actually brave enough to ask you, like, how did you get here? Which that question annoys the heck out of me because I've had that happen to me for other situations. But there's a, a woman by the name of Vivian K. She started Kinky Curly Yaki. So, so it's mm-hmm. a hair extension company for black women with natural hair that want the curly natural look, not the straight, I you know, was Caucasian looking hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I literally was on her website like, okay, I'm about to have a baby. This is who I want. <laughs> yes. So I love her to pieces. She's here in, in, in Canada. She's amazing. I've also um, had her on the show, but she has a saying that she says, uh, what would Chad do? And people laugh about it. But when it comes to the white male, whether or not they feel that they're qualified or they have the credentials or they have what it takes, they go after 
certain opportunities. They go after mm-hmm. what they think is theirs. So she says, you know, especially as black women, because sometimes we will dull our shine or, you know, not show up in certain rooms because we don't feel that we'll be accepted or that we're qualified. She's like, just think to yourself, what would Chad do? So Chad is yeah. that white, that white man that has the audacity to go after all of these things. So, you know, showing up in the room, that's become like the new saying in my head, what would Chad do? So right. I'm, I'm, and honestly, I'm, it's true. It's absolutely true. I mean, I remember being so overwhelmed. Uh, my first pitch competition, I thought I did horrible, but we won. We won $125,000. Mm, the funny thing about it is like I was telling my husband, and it sounds horrible, like first world problems for some people, but I remember back when $20,000 was $20,000, and these days 20000 is almost like two. Um, right, but right. you have to get comfortable. Like There's a certain transformation that happens in yourself when you're somebody who comes from the background that I come from, or just the background that many of us, Black entrepreneurs, founders, tech CEOs come from, that takes place when you get comfortable enough to stand in front of a room, have maybe $20 in your pocket, but be comfortable asking somebody for a million and almost demanding right. it. <laughs> like you deserve right. it. Right. And explaining why in a manner that moves them enough to want to write you that check. And I think that that transformation for me happened and it took place early on. But what I did was I got comfortable with my story and owning up to it because in the very beginning, mm-hmm. nobody knew who owned my company. I thought that if my little black face was in the forefront, that we would not do as well. You know, I just, I was very ignorant to the entire process in the power of and beauty of transparency. So the minute that I started just being present, even if it was just a selfie or telling mm-hmm. people about my story or going to a competition and speaking in front of thousands of people, I found that people resonated with it. And the funny, the funniest thing about it was, it was males. It was men who were like, oh, my God, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I buy this for my wife, my girlfriend? Um, and even Chad. Chad would <laughs> say, well, look, I have daughters in college and this one's at Harvard. You know, how can I support you? So it, it was just beautiful. I love that you've been able to leverage your story to inspire others and to build your brand. And I think that's something that's key and essential that a lot of people don't realize can help their business. You know, there's a lot of, especially black women out here, because I have a lot of them in my DMs that are building businesses and they're building their Instagram and they're not incorporating themselves or their story into it. So you see this amazing product and you're like, well, like there's no faces who owns this page. There's no person there. This is all, all product. And the second that they implement, like you said, even just the odd selfie or the odd photo in there, it doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be every post, but you start to connect, you start to connect to that, that person. And that's what actually changed my life in entrepreneurship. I started out doing real estate, but when I wrote my first book and it was learning to own my story, I was able Mm -hmm. to walk away from real estate and to profit and make an impact and serve just helping other people own their stories. Right. So thank you. I'd love to know what inspires you the most about what you do. There are two things. I think the ability to subtly change lives on such a simplistic basis. You know, we don't think about how many of the products that we use daily and monthly affect our bodies. So the Mm -hmm. potential for helping somebody take charge of their health without them even realizing that that's what they're doing um, is huge for me. Not only that, there's also a huge social impact component. One of the things that I struggled with was my inability 
to provide for populations that couldn't afford my product. You know, mm. I was meeting women who were homeless and other people who just did not have access to these products. And, you know, um, that was a big deal for me because I never stopped to think, what would you do if you could not drop $6 on a pack of Always? Right. And what would you do if you were part of the demographic that had allergies and issues with some of these products? Because I remember like trying different pads that weren't, that wasn't sourced. And I would have chasing and like all types of things, rashes and things mm-hmm. like that, simply because they weren't organic and there were other chemicals in them. So, you know, one of the things that we really focused on was just trying to do better and be better and grow as a company with a great revenue model that was scalable and could become that unicorn, but could also give back. So at first we added a buy one, give one component, and then we pivoted so that we actually now are largely a B2B business, meaning that we work with businesses and organizations directly. So we're stocking restrooms that some of your favorite colleges and universities, your favorite stadiums, corporate offices, and, you know, and even hotels. And through doing that, the really great thing is that anybody who goes into those restrooms or guest rooms has access to our products completely for free. Wow. I love that. I love that. And then if you love it, you can go on our website and purchase some more. But if you can't, you've got this pad, you've got your period, and you are good to go. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that was important to us, and we were very happy to have that bloom out of everything that's happened in the past couple of years. I think that that's amazing. You know, and even as you said, it took me a while to understand. So I like to organize groups and things like that where we go out and actually create care packages and and just hand them out to the homeless in downtown Toronto. and. Mm I think it was, I don't remember what or where that epiphany came from, but we started adding pads and stuff to the packages. And one Mm -hmm. day I thought to myself, yeah, like, how would I feel if I was homeless and I couldn't get pads or like, you know, when you're on your cycle, like, where do they go? Where do they get them from? So we started making that more of a regular practice. So I think it's amazing that you, you do that and that your, you know, your business has that give back component. You spoke to the the small things. Uh, One of my my favorite sayings is, you know, the small things can make the world of difference to somebody else. You know, people always absolutely can. People like to talk about, you know, I I can't make a difference in the world or it's just me or whatever, but it's the small things. Right. So what advice would you give to a woman regarding pivoting in the face of adversity? I'd say go for it. Like literally, I know people say it all the time these days. It's like the the thing to say, but do it scared because I pivoted my company at a time. I could actually remember, you know, this was shortly after my stillbirth in 2018. I lost my daughter, Sage, at almost six, seven months pregnant. Um, You know, I delivered her. I had a vaginal delivery of an almost two pounder and barely survived myself. I was on life support for days. Wow. And that was like the month of our pivot. And I remember getting off of life support and finally being able to go home, you know, days later after having a feeding tube and not being able to walk in. One of the competitions that we won was 10 days off of life support. I actually bought this wig on Amazon to hide the scar of the pick line that I had um, in my neck, in my jugular, because my veins had collapsed. And like that same week, we got this huge feature in Money Magazine because we were trying to raise all of this investment capital. However, all of that to say that you absolutely have to do it scared. At that time, you know, I didn't have the systems in place. I didn't have a team. Like when that happened to me, everything stopped moving. My husband was distraught. My family was distraught. And we were just broken down to the bare foundation of what it is that 
you know, we are as humans and we had to build back up from that. And in some ways we're still building because we're only, you know, a year and some change out. And here we are days away from expecting our rainbow baby. However, it means something when you have the ability to stick to your end goal and be flexible in the implementation. And that's something that I tell a lot of people like, what is your goal with this company? Um, what are you trying to do? And then based on that, you should build a matrix and a myriad of ways to get there. Don't settle on this one way because mm-hmm. the way you start might not be the way you finish. And, you know, if you would have told me that we would be manufacturing our own menstrual products and navigating the FDA regulatory process and speaking on stage and being called by Tory Burch and being a part of the Tory Burch yeah. fellowship and, you know, being plugged by all of these amazing people, I would not have believed you because that did mm-hmm. not, it didn't dawn on me. It was not in my wheelhouse. It didn't seem like something that was attainable. Honestly, a lot of it was really intimidating. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, hell, the FDA certification alone is like $6,000. And I don't know mm-hmm. about you, but like people just don't have thousands of dollars sitting on the side just for a certification, not even to make the products, just to say that you can make the products. Right. So, you know, do it scared be flexible and focus on that end goal. Our goal is always to increase access to healthier feminine products. And here we are now doing it in a way that we never thought possible. Wow. I have goosebumps right now. I mean, <laughs> first of all, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through those things. You are like a warrior to 10 days after coming off life support and going after your dreams and making a difference. Like I'm almost like speechless. I'm just like, you know, when I look back, I'm like, Oh my God. Like I, I looked, there's, I'll have to find the video and like share it to you so that you can share it. But the interview that I did with money magazine was a video interview. And mm-hmm. if you just look at my face, I am so gaunt and so skinny because at that point I hadn't even, when did I deliver? I think I delivered my daughter May 19th. And this was in June that I did that interview, but I hadn't even had my first bite of food. Oh, because wow. after being on a feeding tube, you know, your body doesn't really know when it's right. hungry. So mm-hmm. I went a month without eating and survived on Gatorade. Um, and it was funny because when I look back at that video, I'm like, oh my God, everyone's like, you look great. And I'm like, oh my God, like, look at me. <laughs> wow. You know, and that's the thing too, when you're experiencing things behind closed doors and you're dealing and people see things on the outside and they have, they have this perception. People are like, oh, you look so great. Like I remember after I had my surgery and I had a series of like six months of complications and infections and all kinds of things. Like it was a lot and I was losing weight. I couldn't eat food and people were like, Oh my God, you look amazing. Have you been working out? And I'm like, no, yes. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. <laughs> like, yeah. That's the vanity of society. Yeah. yeah. It is crazy. And you know, that's the point where I was very flippant in my response. People would say, well, what are you doing? You know, where are you, what diet? I said, Oh, nothing. Just a little E. coli sepsis. They're like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, oh, just a little life support, you know, nothing major. Um, but <laughs> it's crazy mm-hmm. that, you know, we as a society are like that. But I'm still trying to process, like, all that we've gone through and how we got here and how some of it happened because it was a series of losses and immediately after a series of wins. wins and yeah. when we finally had the time to breathe 
it was our the one year anniversary of our loss and we were finding out that we were pregnant and I had every wow. intention of keeping this pregnancy a secret. Um, it wasn't until we won something else and I said, Oh my God, we're going to be on Real Houses of Atlanta. Everyone's going to know I'm pregnant. Look at this belly. <laughs> let, me, let me put something on Facebook so people hear it from me first. But I right. totally had every intention of just showing up with the little picture of a baby foot. Like, Hey guys, we had a baby. Let's move mm-hmm. on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. I'm, I'm again, speechless. What's one thing you wish people knew about Arian? I don't like, I, it's, it's weird. I'm in this space where I am not a celebrity. I think I'm only now realizing that I could fit that title of influencer, but I don't really bank my money on that. I think that one thing that people don't realize is that I'm approachable. Like I'm still small fries. Um, and it's funny because I meet so many people who say like, I followed you. And like, I remember I was on the plane, um, headed to Essence and like, I literally am putting my wig on, on the plane, got my little stocking cap, got my mirror. And this girl's like, Oh my God, it's you. She's like, I've been following you and my mom. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, and like, I was out food shopping with my husband and this woman comes up to me and she's like, I remember you. I met you in New York. And I'm like, Holy crap. Like, do I have a makeup Mm -hmm. um but like i am not a celebrity i am not this huge person but i'm also very approachable and i think that sometimes people you know they'll slide in the dms or or find me or like write to me and say like oh you know i know you're so busy thank you for allowing me to take this time and i'm like girl i am not that busy i am not that busy that i can't talk to people like you know some people will say you know put me on your schedule for dinner and i'm like okay well what are you doing in an hour and they're like wait what you're free yes like i have time i'm a human so i get to a point where there's bodyguards and like multiple assistants and things like that i want people to know that like i am a an I'm an open book and Mm -hmm. I'm willing to help and, you know, respond and give tips because the reality is that I did not get to even the point that I'm at without having these people in my life that like I was able to call it 3am and cry because I got an investment document and I don't understand it or, you know, this person, because I know I need to fly somewhere and I need to use somebody's sky mouse. Like it, um, you, we really are all that we have and your Mm -hmm. network is your net worth. So I like to think that like I'm a part of some amazing networks and that I can be a resource to other people who are trying to come up and, you know, time is valuable, but there's also a lot of beauty and just being able to help somebody out, man. Yes. So that's what I'm about. I love it. I love it. So, I mean, speaking of, of that type of guidance, you know, have you had any particular coaches or mentors that have helped you along the way and how has that changed things for you? Yes, actually, it's funny. If I name a few of them, I know they're going to kick my butt because I've sent so many people their way. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) there's a stark difference between mentors and advisors for me. And I encourage everybody to like build this this separately in their lives as well. But for me, mentors are the people who I can be brutally honest with and break down with, and they will give me some inspirational words and help me kind of navigate things. And for me, my advisors are the ones that are on the ground doing the work. So this looks like, you know, I'm having a crazy day. I got some documents I don't understand. Um, I just need some inspiration. I'm run down. I'm burnt out. I don't feel like doing anything. I call my mentor. But if I know, okay, I need to get in touch with Serena Williams camp in 45 minutes, I have an advisor for that who, Mm -hmm. you know, 
is within that circle that can make the introduction or, you know, do something else. If I need funding, I have an advisor who can help point me in the grant or give me the referral or introduction. So I have several of both in my life, more so advisors, because a lot of the work that a lot of the work that we do, I, I physically don't have the bandwidth to just complete it myself. But I've been I've been blessed to have people I can lean on to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that everybody should find those people. Um, and the beauty in it is that a lot of times they'll come to you. LinkedIn is free. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you. I mean, even when I was starting Assembly the subscription box, I reached out to one of the executives at Dollar Shave Club, like, hey, I'm trying to start this thing. I don't know anything about it, but I need your help. Can right. you commit to an hour a month? Like, can I just talk to you and I can help you with this for this demographic because I'm a black woman and that's what we did. So just be frank, be open and find people who are where you want to be in your sector. If you don't know anything about warehousing, go on LinkedIn and find somebody who's a warehouse um, director or a logistics manager. Um, If you don't know anything about marketing, go on LinkedIn and find somebody in your city who's a CMO and chief marketing officer. Like this is, these are the things that I do when I don't know something, I find somebody who does and I do it quickly. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. I firmly believe in, you know, looking at people who are in a position that you want to be in and Mm -hmm. getting mentorship from them, getting advice from them, you know, not necessarily your friends who aren't doing what it is that you want to do because they're going to come with an opinion. And I also love that you reach out to people in those places and you offer an exchange of value because I think that's, that's a key thing because there's always people out there asking for your time in exchange for nothing. So you offering that exchange of value where you know that you're a black woman and you can position them or, you know, get their products or services or their awareness in front of people that they may not necessarily be able to. So I think that that's an Mm -hmm. amazing key point there. Right. And you don't have to do it alone. Early on, I had uh, two or three friends who would come to my house and every Sunday, and it's funny, we all met in a Facebook group. We just happened to be local, mm-hmm. but we would come to my house. I would provide pizza. This one would provide cake. This one would provide beverages. And every Sunday, we would sit at my house on our computers, working on our respective businesses for three to five hours. And this was every Sunday for months. Like Mm -hmm. these are some of the things, you know, I think when people ask for coffee or to pick your brain, like be creative with it because there is a lot of add on value. And, you know, if you're not necessarily able to afford coaching or mentoring or things like that, you can exchange and barter services. You can just get together, get to know one another and work, you know, separately, collectively. So there's a myriad of options for execution. And I encourage people to just be open and fluid. I think that that weekly practice that you're doing with getting together with other women in business, that is something that I actually teach my clients because you need masterminds. You can be in business for yourself, but you can't do it alone. So when people come together and you can exchange ideas, you multiply your results because you're not trying to figure it out on your own. There are people with expertise or knowledge or wisdom or network that can help you to get to those places and you're exchanging value. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I've been a part of multiple different masterminds. You know, I'm in a mastermind for podcasting. I'm in a mastermind for coaches. I'm in a mastermind for women entrepreneurs and everyone's in a different field from graphic designers to you know, everyone has like a different business, but we're exchanging right. value. I love yeah. that. I love that. So at this point, I would love to know what does your self-care routine look like? Whew. 
oh my God, prior to almost dying, <laughs> it was non-existent. <laughs> it literally was probably bath bombs and like, you know, a little perfume here and there. But no, oh my God, now I unplugged. It's funny because people often tell me, like, they applaud me for being so present on social media. And it's mm-hmm. funny because I'm really not. Like, I post and then I delete Facebook mm-hmm. off of my phone. I mm-hmm. keep Messenger because, you know, people need to contact me. But I'll delete the app for a few days. I won't log in. I schedule social media posts out. I unplug. I have a few. I've racked up, like, beautiful journals. I don't, I'm not mm-hmm. consistent with writing in them. But they're there in case I need to. My husband and I have Bible study and we pray together. Love um, it. We've done a lot of work on our relationship and just building up, you know, after, after having such a loss after being married for only a few months. Like, that was a huge huge thing in our lives mm-hmm. and we grieved completely differently. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it's traveling, it's carving out space for my family, carving out space for myself. Self-care looks like anything that I want to do in the manner that I do it and unplugging. Like it really is about learning when to say no. And I've mm-hmm. said a lot of no in the past year. And I can't tell you how refreshing it is to not have to just be on all the time. Like, you know, take the makeup off, relax, Say no. You don't have to do that interview. So what if they're paying you to speak? You don't have to fly mm-hmm. out. Just protect you. And pregnancy is funny in that I've done a lot this pregnancy despite being high risk and having cervical stitches. Like I've actually gone through so much of this pregnancy that I haven't shared and I'm hoping to share one day soon. Um, mm-hmm. And also in the midst of that, finding out revelations about my loss and like some of the things that took place in regards to that, that were beyond my control. So it really is just unplugging and doing what I need to do, learning to say no and protecting my energy. I love that. And I absolutely resonate with all of those things. Your point about the Facebook stuff, for sure. I've had the same where people say to me, you're great. You're consistent with social media and posting on all your platforms. I'm one of those people where I don't have any of my notifications for social media turned on on my phone. I do not have Messenger on my phone on purpose. <laughs> I will go on and post on Facebook. And I'm if I scroll, I'm scrolling. For, I have a timer for maybe like two minutes and then I'm out. I'm not one of those people that can be on there for a long period of time because, like you said, energy. So I'm very protective of my energy. I'm, yeah. I'm considered a highly sensitive person. So I get what you're saying about that. And everything that you've been through, you have to be protective of your energy. Absolutely. You have to. And the one thing for me, what really made me do it, and I watched my husband do it and I thought, man, he's so brave. Like he deleted every single social media profile. I want to say it's been over a year. Like he's Mm -hmm. been two years without a single social profile. He is not on Facebook. He doesn't know what's going on. I can't even tag him in my (laughs) lovey-dovey. However, I found that, you know, I was telling a friend the other day, I said, you know, even though we've pivoted, I made the most money back when we were doing subscription boxes and I wasn't plugged in. I had like 300 Facebook friends and Mm -hmm. now I'm like pushing three, 4,000 and I find myself now questioning decisions more, even if they're the right decision, just Mm -hmm. because you're overloaded with information. And for me, it's comparison too. Like I realize that this is a problem when you're sitting here having lunch with Ariana Huffington herself and it was like the highlight of your day, but now you've logged on to Facebook and you've seen someone else win something and you feel that you're not doing enough. So mm-hmm. for me, it was protecting my energy and protecting my pregnancy and my, you know, everything to do with my aura, but also realizing that, hey, you compare yourself to yourself. Yes. You don't compare to anybody else. And my husband has this thing where he says, baby, your train is on time. 
Like mm-hmm. you can't look at somebody else's station. You don't know their route. You don't know what they've gone through, but your train is on time. And that's why I encourage people to say to themselves, because even in looking at some of the things I've done, like I don't want people to get discouraged and say, man, she's always winning something. She's winning all this funding and I can't seem to get this or I only need a few thousand. But you worked for it. <laughs> I worked for it, but also your train is on time. And also these opportunities often are available near you. Mm-hmm. And I can't win everything. And now I'm at the point where I'm starting to become a competition judge and, you know, empowerment and motivational speaker. And we're doing press interviews and we're branching out. So the beauty of it is now I can pass off these very same opportunities to people that I know. I've had friends win competitions right after me because I plugged them and said, hey, you should apply. You know, this is how this is how they're going to do it. This is what you need. So just be a resource and unplug, unplug every now and then and save your space because whatever the hot topic is for that week is not worth it. Like this week, it's, it's right. little Lucy or whatever the guy's name is. <laughs> every week, people are going to be mad about something on social media. And I just mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather put that energy into something productive that gets me results. I agree with that wholeheartedly because for me, especially since my surgery and I've unplugged a lot from, like you said, I've turned down speaking engagements. I've said no to a lot of interviews. I've, this has been mm-hmm. a year of, of healing, definitely healing for me. So saying no has been important. I found that my sensitivity to awareness and energy has heightened beyond anything you know I ever thought possible. And at first, yeah. obviously, it's uncomfortable. And when I start walking into rooms where there's too many people, picking up energy or when someone comes into my presence and me feeling their emotions like it's overwhelming it's sometimes it's essential to unplug and like you said when you see things on social media because this was my year of rest if I wasn't that person that was aware I could see all of my friends that are running their trains are going and me thinking wow I'm not doing anything I'm not doing enough right but I I am at that place where I am comfortable and aware and understand that I am my only competition and I'm only concerned with how I'm growing so it doesn't bitter me where I can sit and cheer you know all of you guys on but I think not everyone is in that space so it's important right. that they hear especially, you know, from you and I, that it's okay to unplug and to understand that your train is always on time. Right. And the funny thing about it is all of that is relative. Here Mm -hmm. I am nine months pregnant and I tell my husband often, I feel like I'm missing out. I want to fly here. I want to be in Ghana for the year of the return. Like I would have been in Ghana. Mm -hmm. And he's like, baby, do you realize what you've done this pregnancy? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, yeah. Exactly. You know, and other people are like, what do you mean you're resting? Like, I just seen you with this person and that person. To me, I'm resting. And one of the things that was hard for me in the beginning of this pregnancy to cope with was the fact that I would have to say no even more and, you know, Mm -hmm. opt out of things even more. So the beauty in it is that, you know, all of that is relative. And even through being pregnant and sitting things out, we are also getting a lot of things done. Right. I love it. I love it. So. I like to ask this question to every woman that comes on the show, not Mm. because I'm obsessed with stilettos, even though I don't wear them much anymore, but (laughs) I came across this Reader's Digest article that says that your favorite type of shoe says a lot about your personality. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to ask you, like, what is your favorite type of shoe? Is it like a high heel boot, a running shoe, a flip flop, a stiletto, a pump? I don't know. What's your favorite type of shoe? Ooh, it would be between a strappy stiletto, barely there stiletto, and a pump. And it's funny because I've actually had a lot of people quote me in press and on Facebook as Ariane K. Zanotti. And Zanotti is not my last name. I <laughs> Zanotti because 
my favorite shoe designer is Giuseppe Zanotti. <laughs> okay, so okay. It's, it's funny, but people, did, people didn't even realize that. And now it's like it's become my alter ego. So I'm fine with it being impressed because people still know it's me. Love it. Okay. So they say that if you love pumps, you're a boss woman, you're competitive, Uh resolute, and intimidating to those who can't keep up with your pace. This is the most mature of all the shoes. It's someone who's caring, efficient, and powerful. They're usually in a leadership role. And when everything is falling down around you, everyone will turn to the pump woman and say, what now? And then the pump woman will step in and kick ass and take care of business. Does that sound like you? That sounds pretty, I feel like they like read my chart. <laughs> that sounds pretty accurate. I'm shocking myself. <laughs> All right. So before we go to the final segment, I want you to tell everyone where they can stay connected with you online. Okay. So you can stay connected with me on Instagram at Arion Exclusive, A-R-I-O-N Exclusive. And for all of our business social profiles, we are at FemilyBox, F-E-M-L-Y-B-O-X. And also FemilyBox.com. Yes, perfect. So I will have all of those details in the detail section below your episode so they can just click and connect with you directly. They don't have to search too far. Okay. And for the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom where I just ask a couple of reflection questions and you say the first thing that comes to mind. Sure. All right. So let's start with name one of the most worthwhile investments that you've ever made. And that could be money, time, energy. I want to say, oh my God, this is so vain. But I want to say appearance. Mm, Okay. Okay. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? (laughs) It would say level up your vagina and it would be family products on it with my face. I love it. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Okay. What advice would you give your younger self? Go for it. Be a badass. You're a boss bitch. It's funny. That's my grandma's mantra for herself too. I love your grandma. (laughs) I don't even know her, but I love her. (laughs) Love it. What's a part of your journey that people don't see? The background, like the upbringing, everything that makes me a New Yorker. Mm, Okay. What do you wish women would do more of? Demand shit. Okay. Demand it. You deserve it. Demand it. Like we think twice about things that we shouldn't even think twice about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Own the room. Um, Make yourself bigger. Take up space. Wow. Love it. Love it. Okay. Thank you, Ariane. I honestly thank you for taking the time to join us. I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing your story and sharing yourself and your time. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. Um, This has been a blessing and I can't wait to see how far you go. Thank you. Thank you so much, Arianne. And to all of you faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe to our newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com and grab a copy of one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you've received value from today's show, please share it with a friend, share it with someone who needs to hear Arian's testimony and be sure to screenshot this week's episode and tag us on Instagram. You can tag Arian at at Arian Exclusive or at Family Box and you can tag myself at at The Real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your story in a manner worthy of your calling.